0: Hi, this is David and Barbie Cooper. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's always a privilege to share this time with you. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. And for more information and resources to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, go to malparan.com. Thank you for your generous support. It helps the ministry greatly. Today, we're gonna look at one of the most important concepts in the Bible, the word covenant. Let's look at the new covenant that Jesus brought that the writer of Hebrews explains in the eighth chapter of Hebrews. A covenant is a promise from God to his people. The Old Testament covenants that God made with Abraham, Moses, and the time of the law, the Davidic covenant, King David, all of these covenants pointed to the new covenant provided by Jesus. The night of the last supper, Jesus quoted the words of Jeremiah the prophet from the Old Testament as he announced the new and final covenant of God to provide eternal salvation for the sins of the world. Remember how he took the bread and then the cup of wine and he told his disciples as he faced the cross, this blood is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of your sins. The wine represented his life given on Calvary. And he was quoting from Jeremiah. He had come to bring that new covenant that God had promised. God reveals himself to us in the Bible as the faithful God to his covenants. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, Moses said, Know that the Lord your God, He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who honor his name. In Isaiah 54:10, the prophet of Israel said, Though the mountains be shaken, in the hills be removed. Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, says the Lord, nor my covenant of peace be removed from you. The book of Hebrews contrasts the temporary purpose of the covenant of the law in Moses' time and the eternal purpose of the covenant of grace that Jesus brought. John chapter 1 verse 17 says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law is important, but it is fulfilled in grace and truth. The meaning of the word covenant is fascinating when we apply it to the Christian faith. The Hebrew word for covenant is berit, and it means an alliance, a bond, a compact, a treaty, an agreement, or a testament. That's why we refer to the Old and New Testaments. It's the same word we could call them, Old and New Covenants. Now, this word barit comes from the Hebrew, and it means actually to cut or to divide. Think of that. You don't really make a covenant in Hebrew. Literally, you would cut a covenant. So it has a reference to a sacrificial meal that is associated with forming a covenant. You'll see an example of that in the time of Abraham when God gave him a vision of the covenant, and you'll see the cutting of the covenant in Genesis 15, verse 10. Think about this. Even when business people have a contract, They'll often celebrate it with a meal when they have a covenant, an agreement together. So the cutting of the covenant is associated with a, a meal, a celebration, an offering made to celebrate and to commemorate the covenant. Now, the Greek word for covenant, diatheke, means to place between the two, to put something between two. It refers to the last will and testament a disposal of properties after death, a covenant or an agreement. Specifically, now this is important, a covenant is an agreement made by one party with plenary or full power, which the other party may accept or reject, but they cannot alter it. Now that one statement is the most important thing I can tell you about a covenant. A covenant is not a contract. A contract is an equal arrangement between two parties. You want to buy a house, so you go to the bank and you get a loan and you sign and they promise to give you the money if you make the payments. But if they don't, you don't make the payments, what happens? Eventually they foreclose. So that's a contract. The contract has to be upheld by both parties. If one party reneges, the contract is over. That is not a covenant. A covenant is when one person with all the power, all the ability, extends to another person or party a promise that they're going to do something. And the other person, the other party can say, yes, that's great, thank you, and live in the blessings of it. But the second party cannot alter it. They cannot say, well, let's negotiate the terms. It doesn't come like that. It only comes from one part, is a gift to the other. So even if the other party somehow reneges or doesn't do everything in their power, the covenant doesn't end because the covenant is a promise, an oath by this one party. They're going to do what they're going to do. It's almost like a parent who pledges to be faithful to the kids, but the kids aren't always faithful perhaps. Sometimes we as kids get into trouble. We disobey, but our parents don't disown us. They don't stop fulfilling their obligations. Now, they may discipline us, but they don't stop providing they don't throw us out of the house because they made an oath, a promise before God to raise us. That's what a covenant's about. And I'll give you this example. Marriage is a covenant. It's called a covenant in Malachi 2.14. And the reason marriages often don't work for people is because they're trying to make them work as a contract. So they say, well, I'll do this if you'll do that. That's a prescription for disaster in marriage. Marriage is based on I'm going to love you regardless because we're all going to fall short. We're all going to sin. We're all going to make mistakes. Marriage won't survive as a contract, but it will thrive as a covenant. So God's covenants are his promise to us based on his power to provide for us. We can accept it. We can reject it say, I don't want to be involved, but we don't get to negotiate with God the terms of the contract. And the beauty of that is, even if we're faithless, He remains faithful, 2 Timothy 2.13 says. Try to get your mind around that. If we are faithless, He, God, remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. He can't break His word. He won't alter His covenant. Now, we may experience the consequences of being faithless, but God hasn't changed His blessings to us. He hasn't changed His commitment to us. Eventually, like the prodigal son, we'll return to Him. Now, the writer of Hebrews quotes the Jeremiah prophecy of the new covenant as fulfilled in Jesus in this chapter. The eighth chapter of Hebrews is most of it is a direct quote from the 31st chapter of Jeremiah in which the new covenant is introduced. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, now, the main point of what we're saying is, this, we do have such a high priest. We talked about the high priesthood of Jesus and our last message together. We have such a high priest as Jesus who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Jesus, he sat down, he finished the work. He serves in the true sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. He's in heaven, in other words. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs. He means the Old Testament priest as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. So he says that just as Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament priesthood and that that's over, Jesus is our priest. He's also finished the old covenants because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He's brought us the new covenant of eternal salvation. So here the writer of Hebrews draws a sharp contrast between the old and the new covenants. Let's continue to read what he tells us about in the old covenants with the new. For if there'd been nothing wrong with that first covenant, that means the covenant of the law, no place would have been sought for another covenant. But God found fault with the people. He didn't find fault with the law. He found fault with us because we're sinful. We can't keep the law. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant. Notice that God didn't say we will make, that would be a contract. A contract is a we agreement. A covenant is an I agreement. It's a promise by one party to the other. God says, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. In fact, it's to all people. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. He didn't mean that he disowned them, but God did have to discipline the same way a parent doesn't disown us. They're, they still provide, they still care for us, but they discipline us. That's why they spent those years in the desert. That was the consequences of their disobedience because the covenant contains blessings and it also contains consequences of disobedience. And when you accept the covenant, you get to accept both. The same way you did your parents. You can accept their blessings, you also have to accept their discipline, but they don't disown you. In verse 10, he says, this is the covenant. God says, I will make and establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. That's the new birth Jesus talked about. Not keeping an external law, but saved on the inside. Trusting God with your heart and mind. God says, I will be their God and they'll be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest. They'll have a personal relationship with God and I love this part of the new covenant. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Think about that. That's Hebrews chapter eight, verse seven through 13, but it's a direct quote from Jeremiah in the Old Testament. He says the old covenant was temporary. It was a covenant of law. The people couldn't keep the law. They disobeyed God. But the new covenant is a covenant based on grace, and it has fulfilled the old, and it has replaced the old. So he says now, second of all, that the old is gone, the new has come. The old covenant is gone, it's over, the new covenant has come in Christ. And I want to pause and say that's true in so many things in life. The old has to go first before the new has come. And the sequence of that is important, and it's a great application to all of life, and it's taught all through the Bible in so many other areas of life. I'll give you one example, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, he says, put off the old self, which has been corrupted in deceitful desires. put on the new self, which is being created to be like God in righteousness and true holiness. You always have to get rid of the old before you're ready for the new, and you can apply that to every part of your life. So the old covenant of Moses and the law, the old covenants made, they all pointed to Jesus and they're gone, the new covenant is here. Let's continue reading in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. And now verse 13, chapter 8, verse 13, he concludes all this by saying, by calling this covenant new, that is the work of Jesus. He, God, has made the first one, the first covenant obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This little verse of scripture contains so much truth. First of all, he lets us know that when the new comes, the old is obsolete, outdated, and will soon disappear. And that's true of the old covenant of the law. It's obsolete now. We don't have the, the sacrifice of the Old Testament. We don't have like to keep all the Sabbath regulations. But you know, this is true for life. When the new comes in your life, this is what keeps people from changing. They keep holding on to the old. And they want to add the new to the old. Now well, you gotta let the old go, whatever it is, in your relationships, in your behavior, in your habits, in your plans, and your dreams. And you can apply this to any area of your life. This is how change comes about, and it's why change is difficult for people to keep holding on to the old. You've got to realize sometimes that the old things in your life are obsolete. You ever looked in your closet and said, nobody's wearing that anymore? It's obsolete. Somebody tries to give you something that's an antique. Barbie and I, we we don't like antiques. We like living in the now. You think it's kind of obsolete. What am I gonna do with that? You can apply this to everything in your life. Well the old covenant laws were great then, the sacrificial system. It had its day, but it was pointing to something better. It's obsolete. Nobody uses that anymore. It's outdated. And it will soon disappear. This is why companies go under and churches go under and relationships fail because people keep holding on to the old. They keep trying to live in the good old days and the world keeps changing and eventually everything just disappears. It's gone. God is a God of new things and you can apply that to every part of your life. Revelation 21 and five, God says, I make all things new. And Jesus brought a new covenant, a final covenant now, it also means that the new birth, the new covenant speaks of the new birth. Jesus talked about, you must be born again. It also means that the old is gone, the new has come. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of the most well-known verses in the New Testament among Christians. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a what? New creation. And what does it mean to be a new creation? The old is gone, the new has come. You see, God is always about changing things in our lives, not maintaining traditions. It's always been a paradox to me how many churches get stuck in traditions and we're worshiping a God who makes all things new. God delights in getting rid of the old and letting the new come. And you can't have the new until you get rid of the old. So maybe today in your life in a very practical application of this message, you need to think about some old things, old relationships, old items in your house, old ways of doing things at work, old traditions in your church. Maybe you need to think about getting rid of the old, making some room for God to do something new in your life, because you can't get the new until you get rid of the old. Then he tells us, according to Jesus' teachings about this new and old, that God pours new wine into new wineskins. When he gave that beautiful parable in Mark chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wineskin will burst and both the wine and the wine skin will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. If you want new blessings of God today, you gotta get some new wineskins. You gotta change the way you're doing things, you gotta get rid of your traditions, you gotta grow into some new areas of life. The practical application is so powerful for all of us to be open to the things that God is doing and desires to do in our lives and our ministry today. We need to recognize when old things are obsolete, they're outdated, so we can make them disappear by not continuing to do them. You say, how to make something disappear? Stop doing it. Stop using that item. Stop practicing that tradition. The way you make something disappear is to stop doing it. The problems in your relationships, the dysfunction in your marriage. You say, I need, I need all that to end. Stop doing it and it will disappear. We need to recognize there are times that things are obsolete. It's outdated. It's not working anymore. We need to make it disappear and end in our lives by not continuing to repeat the bad habits. God is a source of new things. We can get a new word from him today. You can hear God speak to you. You get a new way to go in your life. You can see new wonders of his grace in your own experiences. God says in Isaiah 43, verse 18, See, I am doing a new thing, says the Lord. He is the God seated upon the throne of this universe who says, I'm making everything new. Jesus came to bring us a new covenant. He fulfilled the old. The old is gone. The new has come. And that is how God works in our personal lives as well. If you're stuck today, you've got things that are old, habitual. They're not working anymore. They're frustrating today. Say, Lord, I'm tired of these things. They're old. They're obsolete. I'm going to make them disappear, Lord. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop acting this way. I'm going to stop doing these habits. I'm going to stop practicing these traditions. Make a commitment today to let the old and outdated become obsolete. Make it disappear in your life today. Open your heart to the new things that God will do for you. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of new things and the new beginnings. And I pray for every person today that you will help them to end the old, the outdated, the obsolete. May they make it disappear today by deciding to no longer do those things, practice those things, function by those traditions, and open their hearts today to the new things that you have the power to bring in their lives. Father, make everything new for them today in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with me as we study the word digging deep in this amazing book of Hebrews. I want to encourage you to download the Mount Parent app today if you don't have it. Let's stay connected. You're a part of the Mount Perrin family. You want to see everything going on, participate, so many ministries, so many opportunities for growth and fellowship together and for really investing your life in something greater to help other people through our missions and our helping of those in need today. Get the app today, check out everything. You can get sermons, books, T-shirts, Mount and coffee mugs, things that are just great, emblems of our life together as a church family Make sure you're following me on the sermon podcast. Get others to subscribe to follow me as well. Let's build our network of people that are studying the Word of God as we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I look forward to seeing you Sunday for worship online, on campus. Services are amazing. I'll see you Sunday. Invite somebody to go to church. Have a great day. I trust the message has been an encouragement to you today. Remember to follow us on social media and connect with us at MountPerrin.com. I'll see you right here next week for a fresh message from God's Word.